Okay. Um, so we questions we're going to be addressing we about snow. There's three questions. Number one, I come home on Friday just before Shabbos. I don't have time to shovel the snow um, before Shabbos. Can I shovel it on Shabbos? Number two, my company hires a um, my business hires a company to clear the parking lots from the snow. Do I have to make sure they don't come on Shabbos? And number three, um, it's very cold. Sidewalk outside my property is very icy. Am I allowed to put out salt on Shabbos? Um, now, let's leave aside the third question for a moment, just thinking about the first two questions. The question about um, shoveling the snow and having a company clear my parking lot from the snow. There are a number of differences between those two questions, which were sort of intentionally implanted into the way the questions were worded. Um, and I'm wondering what you guys think. What comes to mind when thinking about those two questions? Uh, what, what is the what are the, diff the relevant differences? Any thoughts? Safety and emergencies. Go on, elaborate. I I think that like with Hatsala that um, certain rules are meant issue okay very good that's one important difference um what else you're not, uh, well you're not going to actually pay them on that day you're not going to pay them on that day okay what else anyone Avram okay are you going to yourself or ask a guy to do it very good what else i paid somebody like uh for the whole winter we'll get to that we'll get to that okay I mean, there's two other differences that come to my mind that are important one is that if you're just clearing the snow outside your property usually you'll just be using a hand shovel versus if you're clearing a parking lot you're going to be using a tractor or some sort of machine and another difference which which what could come into play is, is is there a difference between snow that fell before Shabbos versus snow that fell on Shabbos? And that brings us to the first part of the whole discussion is we have to determine is snow mukta, right? You're going to be clearing up snow. And obviously, as we'll see, we're going along, there's obviously going to be big differences between whether you're living in a place with an Erev or without an Erev. But the first question that has to be addressed is, is snow mukta? Now, the answer should be a very clear, no, it's not Mukta. And that is based on the Gemara that says explicitly that rain is not Mukta. Um, rain is not Mukta, so if rain is not Mukta, then why should snow be Mukta? The reason why rain is not Mukta is the Gemara says something along to the effect of that it was, um, that it was in the was already there yesterday. It was in the clouds already yesterday. It's not a new entity. A new entity is called Neulad. Um, it could be Mukta. Um, and many poskims explicitly write that snow is not Mukta. 
I'll list a number of them. First of all, we have the Eishel Avram, the Buchar Sherov. We've spoken about him many times. And he writes in Simon Shingit Beis Nira, the Shalag, Eni Mukta Klal Bushkabus. Kedush snow is not Mukta at all. Why? Kivin the Roy Litni Laifus Mamakim Shasir, Kyodua Kanog Litin Lavot is Dafka Shalag. One of its uses is that you could give it to ducks to, um, to, to drink, apparently. And he says it's known that ducks often drink specifically snow rather than water. Um, and therefore, there's no issue of muksa at all, even in a place where there aren't ducks commonly available. I think that there's other uses for snow also. You can use it, to, if necessary, you can even drink, use it to drink yourself or to, to wash your hands. Okay, there's, people like to use the snow to make a snowball fight or snowman, which is another separate trial where it's permissible to do that on Shabbos, which we're not going to get into that today. Other reputable paskim I actually found on Eitzar Chachma, which is the hard drive I have with lots of svarim. I have a sefer called Hanoisin Shalek, all about snow and anything, any possible imagine, any any possible question related to snow, um, you can find addressed over there. There's snow on Hanukkah, snow on Sukkot, snow on Pesach, snow on Shabbos, anyone. So he has obviously all chapter on Shabbos, and he brings a whole host of pasukim who say that it's not Mukhtar. Um, and notably, he quotes Rabbi Vadi Yosef as saying that they are not Mukta. Also, Rivervois Ephraim. Rivervois Ephraim is Rabbi Ephraim Greenblatt, who was the prominent Rav and Postuk in Memphis. And um, Nishma Shabbos, that's um, David Harpenus, who's a Postuk in, in, I think he lives in Williamsburg. Ray Moshe, that's the uh, Debrezina Rav, also a prominent contemporary Postuk, and a number of others. And of course, from the Shlemus Amun Oybach, it's quoted in Shmir Shabbos Kilchaz that snow is not Mukta. The exception to all of this is a rather cryptic and curious shuva from Ramosha, where Ramosha finds him that says that snow is not, that snow is Mukta. And um, he doesn't really explain why. And he just, he says they have a noilut because it's a new entity. And he says it's not, you, you, the fact that um, it says explicitly that rain is not Mukta. Ramosha says, oh, that's not a that's not a contradiction. He doesn't explain why. Okay, so a number of things have been suggested. Um, I'm not really expert. I don't know if anybody around this table is in the scientific, in the formation of rain and snow. And does, it, does snow form and come quicker than the rain? I don't know exactly. Um, and in fact, in this Sefer Nation Shalak, he quotes that in Ramosha Gufa, there's a contradiction. He says that in a certain Sefer, which I wasn't able to find, he quotes Ramosha saying specifically that snow is not muksa. Be that as it may, um, even if Ramosha did mean it, it's it's rather cryptic and, and um, uh, difficult to understand, and certainly uh, um, very uh, a whole host of prominent postkim who explicitly say that snow is not muksa. Um, so therefore, that would appear not to be a problem. Now, Rabbi, now now here, by the way, even according to Ramosha, Lechayra. Snow would only be muksa. He says that the reason it's muksa is because it's noilad. Noilad means if a new entity comes into being on Shabbos, then you're not allowed to use it, right? So uh, in certain instances, if 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 honey comes out of it, it flows from the beehive, that could be a problem. There's all sorts of uh, examples of this, but that would not apply. Again, it's a it's a half a line, but that would not apply to snow that fell before Shabbos. Right, so therefore, in the first Shaila, where I said the guy comes home,
if he still does it, there used to definitely be this sort of daily halacha. He has very interesting sources. And he said something which, is obvious, but I didn't see anybody else saying it. There is a halacha. Let me see if I posted this in the English. That's just a second. I didn't post this in English. But there is a halach in Shulchan Aruch, and I'll read it to you from the Altarebbe Shulchan Aruch in Simon Shinam Ches, chapter 338, Sif Tes, number 9. Now, basically, there is a halacha, one of the part of the rules of Muksar. Now, you're not allowed to, um, you're not allowed to take something, a utensil, and make it unusable, make it forbidden to use on Shabbos. So, for example, if you have a candle burning, the fuel of that candle is mukta. Now, let's say you have your candle with your paraffin or your oil, and there's a leak, right? So you're not allowed to take a cup and put it under to catch that oil, because then you're going to be making that cup mukta, right? So then, so that's an introduction to this halacha. So the Altarebbe says over there, mm-hmm. Delaf means um, the rain dripping from the gutter, let's say, right? So you're allowed to put the rain... Uh, <coughs> Sorry, a utensil under this uh, raindrop on Shabbos. And if the bucket gets filled up, like we had here in the kitchen last week, you empty it out and put the utensil back. Says That's only if the, the, the rain dripping into it is clean enough at least to be used for washing, right? Which is again. I think that was the case here last Shabbos, so no, no regrets. If it's if, if the delaf is filthy that you can't use it, never mind for drinking, but even for washing yourself, then it's mukta. But also, but you're not allowed to move, you're not allowed to handle, move the delaf, the raindrops. Therefore, you would also not be allowed <coughs> to put a utensil under it because that would be. Um, sort of disqualifying this this utensil from being used. So that's what it says in Shulchan Aruch. So Reb, um, Rabbi Brodin adds over here that this that we're assuming that snow is not mukta is only if it's clean snow. If you have snow that's, I don't know, been driven over by cars and like, yeah, you know, the, the, the filthy snow that you would never you, you would never use and you wouldn't even let your kids have a snowball fight with them, right? So then everybody would agree that 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 snow is muksa. Again, that's usually not relevant to the snow in your sidewalk. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. That's what it's called. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um I, I, I can't imagine the ducks would eat the filthy snow from mm. the car, yeah. So there, again, it's not usually relevant to the snow that you need to shovel from your sidewalk or from your walkway. But, uh, okay. So that's the first, the first Indian. Um, now, the other two Inyanim which have to be covered initially are, for the first question, is number one, Tiltal Bushu Sarabim, carrying in the street. Right, because you're going to be carrying the snow from the sidewalk to wherever you're putting it, and the other one is more generic and less specific, less less more difficult to sort of have a clear-cut answer to, is things related to tircha, to extra work, 
to Zilzal Shabbos. It's, it may not be forbidden, but it's Afshamilsa, it's disrespectful to the Shabbos. It's not it's not Shabbos Dick. So that's another question that has to that has to be addressed. And of course, assuming that we're not using tractors and plow machines, that's touching on the second question. But for the first question, I come home before Shabbos and I don't have time to shovel the snow. So there's certainly no issue of Mukta. What about carrying in the Shusarabim? And um <coughs> and, and now so in, in the very prominent Sefer, Shmir Shabbos Kochasa, he brings um as follows, he says at a Lesa Ferich when necessary, Mutalifanis Shalik Manarachov, it's permissible to clean snow from the street. If when your intention is to avoid um, pedestrian slipping, provided it's not a rishus harabim gemura. Now, what that means is, we just use we talk about the public domain and the private domain. Private domain is in your house; there, you're allowed to carry. Public domain is the street; you're not allowed to carry. Now, okay, again, ignoring the possibility of a neiros. Now the truth is that there's two there's a Shusarab and Gemura, a public domain where it's actually forbidden to carry on a biblical level, is basically is only a street where uh, sorry only a, a street or a city where you have six hundred thousand people um, going through going through. But if it's less than that, so then it's called the Carmelis, which means it's only rabbinically a public domain, and then we could be much more lenient. And by the way, the the most the most uh, common application of this question is an Eruv. An Eruv can only be built in a place which is a Carmelis. A place which is a Rishus Rabin, right, a yeah. public domain, an Eruv doesn't help. So um, you, I'm sure you've all heard a different Eruv in different cities become very controversial. And often the controversy is surrounded about this, what to determine whether this specific neighborhood or this specific city is a Rishos Rabbim, just as an example, what, what, you know, how do you count 600,000 people, how, which streets affect other streets, does it have to be 600,000 people every day <laughs> or once in a while, it is a very, very complicated, complex um, discussion, just uh, as an example, in my hometown in London, so there's an area, there's Northwest London, which is basically Golds Green and Hendon combined. The Golds Green and Hendon is like West Rogers Park is to Skokie. You know, it's two neighboring, uh, or maybe even West Rogers Park to Lincolnwood and Peterson Park. Um, but in, in between Golds Green and Hendon, so so that area was when it initially was very controversial, and I think till today, um, there's uh, politics and uh, issues with it. But um, one of the issues is that there's a street, a big sort of basically a highway, that cuts between those two neighborhoods of Golders Green and Hendon. And it's people walk across all the time. There's a bridge that crosses over. It's like, it's, it's, it's considered like one neighborhood, but there is that highway that goes in between. And I think that, again, I'm not the base expert here, but I think that if the, if the, if there would be two separate areas, one for Golders Green and one for Hendon, skipping on the highway, that would solve a lot of the, a lot of the issues over there. Anyway, back to our cases, he's saying, so as long as you're not in a Rosh Hashanah you're in what's called a Carmelis, so then we don't have a problem with you clearing off the snow. Um, and also, the, the street has to be paved, because if it's not paved and it's loose earth, again, this is highly unusual that the area that you're in a rush to um, shovel should be an unpaved area. But if it's unpaved, then there's other issues of flattening out the earth. So he says it's permissible to do it. Um, on the Kol Mokayim, he says, nevertheless, 
you should have a guy do it for you. And if a guy is doing it for you, and if you have a guy doing it for you, you can do it even in a absolute Rishus Harabim. If you do it yourself, you can only do it in the Karmelis, in a quasi Rishus Harabim. If you have a guy doing it for you, then you can do it in a, in, in a incomplete Rishus Harabim. If you Hold on one second, hold on. Okay, one, just one moment. One of the primary Chuvas sources that he quotes over here is the Mishnah Allah, Zermanasha Klein, um, who has a whole Chuvah on this. And what I want to do with the rest of the time we have today is to go, go through the various points that Rabbi Nasha Klein makes and um, see how he builds his argument to allow it. And then I anticipate that the other two questions um, will probably address next week. Yes, Dr. Lieber. Oh, if you own a business, can you have a boy work for you on the Shabbos? Um, wow, that's a loaded question. Oh, I thought it would be a simple answer and no, or yes, or no. No, no, no. Okay, so actually, and so, so the first thing we need to okay, the, the, those those laws are extremely complex. There's actually at least one book in the library, an English book, entirely on that subject. Um, but let's get a very brief overview of this topic. From if you look at your source sheet, um, the, the very beginning where it says section two four four, which labors may be performed by a non-Jew for the sake of a Jew. Okay, it is forbidden for a Jew to allow a non-Jew to perform forbidden labor for him on Shabbos. So for right now, we're discussing only having the Jew, the non-Jew, do forbidden labor for you. We're not talking about um, having him, uh, I don't know. Uh, right. If you have a guy, how can you set the table for me? Setting the table is permissible activity, so there's no reason not to ask a guy to do it. But if there's something which is forbidden to do on Shabbos, you're not allowed to have a guy do it for you. This applies even if the non-Jew is working primarily for his own wages. But he's hired as a day, day worker. The Jew hired him before Shabbos and told him for every day that you will work for me, I will give you this and this sum. Although the Jewish employee did not explicitly tell him to work on Shabbos as well, but rather he performed the labor on Shabbos on his own initiative, the Jewish employer must admonish him as explained in section 243.4. Right now, when it comes to having non-Jews plow your snow for you, or let's say clear your snow in front of your sidewalk, there's basically three ways that it's commonly done. One way, which I don't think is so common here in Chicago, but maybe in, in, in Brooklyn and in other neighborhoods, this is very common. If you don't have any contract with anybody, if it snows, you have the guys going up and down in the street, you hail them down and say, okay, $10, $20, clear my walkway. That's explicit. I'm asking them to do something for me right, now, right here, right now. Then another option is that you have a contract. Now the contracts, again, there could be many variables, but basically there's two types of contracts. One contract is that I pay a guy and I, I have a contract with him and I say, for every time it clear, you clear the snow, you're gonna get $50. And then you don't have to call him every time. He, every time it snows, he comes and he sends you a bill. <coughs> Another way to do it is that you say to the guy, I'm going to pay you X amount of money a month. And every time, it's, if, it's, if it never snows, you keep the money. If it snows every day, you have to come every day. Right? Those are basically the various forms of contracts that usually exist for, uh, for, for this. So here he's saying that if you tell the guy explicitly, uh, every time you do this for me, I'm going to pay you. That's called a schir yoyim. And that's forbidden on Shabbos. If, however, the non-Jew acts as a contractor, 
a kablan in halachic terminology, i.e., he agrees to perform a specific task for a specific fee, it is permitted to allow him to perform his entire task on Shabbos. So here we're talking, for example, about, I tell him, look, I want you to um, make me a suit, right? And I'm going to pay you $500 to make me a custom-made suit. I don't care if you make the suit on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or Shabbos. I just want it to be ready on time for my wedding, right? So in that case, license is granted whether the non-Jew works with his own materials <coughs> or even if he acts with materials provided to him by the Jewish employer to perform the task. E.g. gave him a garment to sew um, and set a fee um, for sewing the garment or provided him with strands of fabric to weave the garment. Everything okay? In the latter instance, license is granted for the non-Jew to perform the entire task on Shabbos, whether he agreed to weave the entire garment and set a fee for performing the task, or whether he never agreed to weave the entire garment and the employee set a fee for every cubit that he will weave. These terms of employment differ from hiring a day worker, which is prohibited, because the work of a day worker that a day worker performs does not belong to him. It is not his concern when working. He does not have the intent to complete the task. For the completion of the task is not his responsibility, and he derives no benefit from its com- its completion. Instead, his intent is to work for the Jewish employer throughout the entire day so that he will be paid his day's wage. Therefore, he is considered to be acting as the Jew's agent. With regard to a contractor, by contrast, the work is his. His intent when working is to complete the task that he will receive his fee. Thus, he is not considered as the Jew's agent. Okay, so as we alluded to already before, the specifics of every case can get very complex, but the basic um, the, the basic overview is very simple. If I hire the guy to do a job for me, I want you to make me a custom-made suit. So when he works on Shabbos, he's not working on Shabbos for me. He's working on Shabbos for himself. He wants In theory, we're going to see now an exception, the exceptions, but in theory, now, what's the big exception? When is license given to allow? a non-Jewish contractor to perform a task on Shabbos, when he performs a task with an entity that is not attached to the ground, so that the non-Jew could perform it in his own home or in another place that is not the domain of the Jew. Thus, it would not be evident that the task belonged to the Jew, and there's no question of the impression that would be created. So in addition to whether or not it's strictly speaking, um, if the non-Jew is considered my agent or not, there's the other question is, what is everybody going to think? Which could be divided into either chashad or maris ayin, but basically it's the question of what are other people going to think about what I'm doing. So if it's something like a suit, which he goes into his uh, workshop and he makes me a suit, that's fine. But if he's going to be cutting my grass, it doesn't make a difference if he's a cobbler or not. If I tell him, look, I'm paying you a, a $500 for the, for the next six months for you to maintain my front lawn, or back, or whatever, yeah? It doesn't make a difference. The fact that he still can't come to my property because then people might think that I hired him on Shabbos, right? And that's actually quite relevant here. You know, you have the guys, you pay them to come once a month, 
Um, if they come on Shabbat, even more, usually they might not come on Saturday, but they come on Yom Tif, yeah? if Monday's on a, if Yom Tif's on a Tuesday, so it's your responsibility to make sure they don't come. Even in Cholmoyed, you can't. Correct, even in Cholmoyed. Different laws apply, however, when the non-Jew is working with something that is connected to the ground, e.g. he was contracted to build a house for a Jew, or harvest the fields for a Jew. In these instances, since it is apparent and commonly known that the property belongs to the Jewish employer, it is evident to any observer that the task is also being performed for his sake. Therefore, if the property is in the middle of a town or within the town's Shabbos limits, the Tchum Shabbos, the Jewish employer is forbidden to allow the non-Jew to perform the task on Shabbos because of the impression that it would create for the observer would say that the non-Jew is a day worker hired by the Jewish employer. Okay, so um, by the way, uh, some uh, one of you know, like this Jewish trivia: what's something that's f- um, permissible on Shabbos but forbidden on Cholamayot? The answer is. To have, in certain instances, to have a guy do work for you outside of the tchum, outside of the Jewish area. On Shabbos, it's permissible because as long as you've set it up in the way of the contract that's permissible, there's no concern of what other people are going to think because it's outside of the community. But on Chalamoid, where people might travel there because it's permissible to travel on Chalamoid, it would be forbidden because you're not allowed to have contractors do work for you on Chalamoid. And yeah, anyway, that's just uh, by the way. Okay, so in this case, if we were to argue that removing snow on Shabbos is forbidden, either because it's a Rabin and you're going to move it more than four cubits in the public domain, or if the guy is coming with a tractor or something else which makes it absolutely forbidden on Shabbos, an activity that's forbidden on Shabbos. So here it would appear, uh, it would appear from here that um, it would be forbidden on Shabbos because even if you have your contract set up in a way that you're paying him a certain amount per month or per winter, whatever it is, and he comes every time the snow, the fact is it's on your property. It's right in front of your house, and everybody knows that when he's plowing the snow or shoveling the snow in front of your house, that you're the one who hired him. So that would that would appear to be forbidden. But now here we come to a caveat, and as you can see, I skipped to number eight of the very same chapter. It says like this, in some places, communities are accustomed, this is based on the Mogan of Ram, in some places, <coughs> communities are accustomed to um, to follow a lenient approach and hire non-Jews on a con- contractual basis to remove garbage from the streets. The non-Jews work for their own benefit. Although the non-Jews work on even on Shabbos, these communities are not concerned about the impression that may be created. There are authorities who offer some justification for such a conduct. Okay, so we're talking about some community where, <clears throat> let's talk in, in, in modern-day uh, phenomena, you might have, let's say, a, a housing complex, a gated community where the community get together. It's not necessarily the work is not necessarily done by the city. You have the community getting together, paying assessment fees, and everybody uh, chips in. So they hire a company to remove the garbage. So the Mogan of Ram is telling us that there were communities who allowed um, them to come and take the garbage on Shabbos. So what, 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 what could be the, how could this be allowed, right? So the Magen Ram says, that, again, this is the Alter Rebbe quoting, there are authorities who offer some justification for such conduct. Actually, here's the Alter Rebbe differing from the Magen Ram. The Magen Ram suggests a different justification, but the Alter Rebbe says as follows. It has already become a matter of public knowledge that it is common to hire a non-Jew as a contractor to remove garbage and not for him to work as a day, as a day worker. Schirioi. Accordingly, there's no need to be concerned about the impression that may be created, as stated in 243.10, with regard to <coughs> workers hired as contractors, for bathhouses, oven, and mills, consult that source, okay? So basically, the, 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 the hatchet that he's saying is, because everybody knows 
that the garbage collectors are done in a contractor. So even a, an, in, are done in a method of a contractor and not as a day worker. So there's no problem of Marisayan. The whole problem was, look, if he's going to be mowing your lawn on Shabbos, people might think you hired him this morning. But if everybody knows that, if everybody knows that standard practice is to hire a contractor to do it, in which case it's, he's not really considered your agent because he's doing it because he wants to get the job done. So then, um, then it's, it could be permissible. And the Morgan of Rome is not saying explicitly that, that, that this heter would apply so clear cut to removing garbage. He just says that there are communities who are accustomed to doing this. And the loss of the Morgan of Rome, if I recall correctly, is something along the lines of that they must have had a reliable Rav who passed them that it's permissible them. And therefore, Morgan of Rome is a little bit ambivalent, but he says, okay, we'll leave it as it is. Now, of course, um, we could uh, suggest that perhaps the same thing would apply to snow. And here also, it kind of depends on the community. But I think that, you know, in places like Brooklyn, I think it's more common that people just um, walk up and down the street and people flag them down and say, hey, would you do my driveway for whatever, 20 bucks? And versus a place like Chicago, where it is more common that people have um, landscapers who they pay a fixed fee for to take care of their property, including um, clearing the snow whenever it snows. Anyway, be that as it may, in this chuva that we started talking about from Reb Menashe Klein, he start, so, so, so the person, the person who, address, who asked, the person asked him a question. Um, he's addressing, uh, I forget the guy's name. He was a rov in in the Bronx, and he says, "Mechtav Kibalti about the shaila. Is it permissible to clear the snow on the sidewalk?" He writes, "In either sidewalk." Um, through a guy who, who who you've hired but Kablonus, like with a contractor, so there's no he's not a day worker, <coughs> and you, this rabbi who, uh, who who wrote the question to the Rabbanasha client, he said, "Look, we find the Morgan of Ram allowing you to, uh, or at least, yeah, and so the, allowing to remove the garbage on Shabbos." And he says, "Removing the garbage on Shabbos is isadiraisa." Why is removing the garbage on Shabbos isadiraisa? So he says, because there's a Mishnah that says, and it's brought to that if you have some sort of lump in the street and you and you and you remove it, that is that 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 is um violates a biblical prohibition. Um because of if I recall correctly, it's ashvagumas, it has to, it's related to plowing, smooth because you're smoothing out the ground underneath it. So he says, in that case, <coughs> the, the, again, this person is assuming that garbage is the same. So he says, removing garbage would be an Isidai Raisa. And nevertheless, the God Lechad Lam, he says it's allowed. Why? Um, okay, so he quotes that whole Mogavram that we just saw now, about removing the garbage. And therefore he says, look, over here, it's really important to remove the snow. And therefore we should be able to apply that um, lenient ruling of the Mogavram with regard to garbage to allow a contractor to remove the snow. Now, why is it important to remove the snow? He doesn't say over here, but th- th- there could be two. Th- there could be two, two two approaches to why it's important to remove the snow. One approach is because it's dangerous; people could slip and fall. Which I haven't researched the statistics, but I think I don't think I re- I don't think that snow is so dangerous. I don't think there's a high chance of people slipping and falling in the snow. The ice could be very dangerous, which is the third question on the list, which we're going to get to next week, but. Snow in, in its in and of itself, the is not so dangerous. 
Um, unless you say, well, if you don't clear it, it's going to become icy and it'll be dangerous after Shabbos. But if if that's the problem, you know, again, it, it, then it becomes more, um, it becomes less of a direct issue relevant right now to Shabbos. The other issue is if it's legally mandated that you clear your sidewalk and if they, if they, if, if you could get fined for not doing it, which again is a very locale based uh, reality uh, here in Chicago. I mean, I wish people would get fined because <laughs> nobody's shoveling their sidewalks, but I imagine there are cities where, where, where they're more strict about it. And by the way, there are also cities um, certainly, I know Montreal is like this, and I think in some parts of Skokie it's like this, um, right here, that the, the, the city come and shovel and with like a very narrow tractor and they plow the sidewalk. <coughs> so there's all, every place is very different. Okay, so Rabbi Nasser Klein says to him like this, um, first of all, um, if, if, if I'm to accept your, your analysis, <coughs> that there is a biblical prohibition, that there's a biblical prohibition to remove the snow, because it's like so he says then it, then it would be forbidden because just because you're going to get fine nobody's actually going to die from slipping in the snow and, uh, and 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 just because you're going to get fined by the government that's not permission to do something that could be also de raisa um or even he, he's not mom is going to be also de raisa because he's not going to do it himself he's going to ask a guy to do it but nevertheless, he's not, uh, he's not, he's not going to take it. But Menashe's client says, actually, um, even if you want to say that taking out garbage is is today raisa, again, in, in the olden day streets, not, uh, he says, snow is not like that because snow, and he brings various proofs from this from Mishnais in different places, that because snow eventually will melt on its own, so it's not, it's not, even though it might take weeks for that to happen, it's not the same as this, case of Gafshushis, and therefore there's no biblical prohibition um, to removing the snow. <coughs> so once there's no biblical prohibition, now we have to see, is there a rabbinic prohibition? So we've already established um, that it's not mukta, and in most cases it's not going to be mukta, and there's no biblical prohibition. So he says, okay, well, let's see, let's see. He says, first of all, you could do it beyond of a begufai. You could, you could, Theoretically, remove the snow, pick up the snow with your hands, and move it over. Um, and, and and he says you don't have to move it. Again, he's talking here even in Rishus Rabbim Gemurah. We mentioned before that you have a, a Rishus Rabbim, which is actually biblically considered a public domain or a Carmelist. Even if you're in Rishus Rabbim Gemurah, you're on the highway, you could still move it less than four cubits. If you move something less than six feet, that's not a problem. You don't, if you're sidewalking, you know, how much, you just need to make a little, so you can just move it up and move it over a few inches in either direction. And that's not a problem. And he says, even if you do move it um, further than Daladamas, which is six feet, he says, you're only going to have a biblical prohibition if you actually lift it up. But often, he says, what people do with the snow. By the way, when he says here about doing it with your hands, I'm not sure if he means with your hands as opposed to a shovel. Because, again, if you have a tractor or a snowblower or something that's electric or gas-operated, then that could be more problematic. But as long as you're doing it mechanically, whether it's with your hands or with a shovel, again, you have the issue of where's the shovel coming from and carrying the shovel in the public domain. But theoretically, if you leave a shovel out on your front lawn, um, well, then you would have to... You have to keep moving it. You have to keep moving it. So eventually you would have more than four amas. Okay, so let's talk. Let's, let's not talk about the shovel yet. You're going to lift up the snow with your hands or with your feet. You're going to kick the snow. You're going to sort of kick around the snow in either direction just to clear a little bit of a pathway. 
Um, he said, and then he says, he says, even if even if you are going to move it more than six feet, you're usually not going to be lifting it up, moving it six feet and putting it down. You're just going to be pushing it or dragging it along the floor. And therefore, he says, and and additionally, he adds a malachah in the which means that you, um, if you're doing a malachah, but you don't need, you don't, you sort of need the side effect of the malachah, not the actual malachah. So in this case, uh, the, the, that that would mean uh, the malachah is hitzah. The malachah is carrying carrying in the public domain. So the the normal way of carrying in public domain is I'm carrying this because I need this, mm-hmm. right? Now the side. Let's, so let's say I need the the orange juice. I want the orange juice over there. So I'm going to carry over there. Now the side effect of that is that the orange juice is no longer here. Now what if the only reason I'm moving it is because I don't want the orange juice here? So then that would be called the malachah sheinetzrichelagufa, which according to most opinions is become downgrades whatever it is from a biblical to a rabbinic prohibition. So even if you are going to lift it up. And put it down. You're not going to drag it, and you're going to move it more than six feet. He says that's a because you don't want the snow over there. You just don't want it here. If you're trying to build a snowman, it'll be exactly. Um, and therefore, he says there's no um, biblical prohibition. And therefore, he says once you're telling, uh, and, and so not only there's no biblical prohibition, there's not even a rabbinic prohibition. In other words, there are ways to do it. In a permissible way, by 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 just doing it with your hands and moving it less than six feet and not picking it off the off the ground and all these things, and therefore he says even if the guy um, is going to do it, he's going to bring his own shovel on his car and he's going to carry and do all these things. That's his business. I could tell him. In other words, by me asking him to clear my snow, I'm not asking him to do anything that's forbidden to him to do. I'm just, just like I could ask a guy to set the table for me. I could ask a guy to remove the snow. Now, if he chooses to bring a shovel instead of doing it with his hands and feet, okay, that's he's his making, problem. He's making it easier for himself. Right, he's making it easier for himself. Again, the whole, the, 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 just like we had this difference between the, 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 the day worker versus the contractor, and what was the difference? He says, the day worker is working for you, the contractor is working for himself. Well, here, he might be a day worker to move the snow for me, but the fact that he's bringing his plow or his, his shovel, that's for himself. Okay? Now, here and again, we're going to get more into this next week because because that's why you know I split the first two questions. The first question was, "I coming home, can I clear my snow?" The second question is, um, "Can I have the guy um, clear my parking lot?" Now, the, one of the differences between the sidewalk and the parking lot is that the sidewalk it's um, certainly very reasonable to do it without any electric machines, without a, tr- a snowblower, a tractor, anything like that. A parking lot is not so right. So. It really depends, you know, if you live in a suburban place where your property is very big and it's not it's not a reasonable expectation that it's possible to do um, by hand, then this argument would carry less weight versus the place like we live here in this neighborhood where where it's just it's just your sidewalk. And here's the big thing. There's an air of here. So here I'm not even concerned with him, even if you don't use the Eruv, there's no issue with asking a guy to use the Eruv for you, as long as it's a reliable Eruv, which locally it is, right? So I don't even have a problem with, so, 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 so once there's an Eruv, there's certainly no, pro, no problem, and you could do it, now, again, we, we still have to cut, we said we're going to get to the issue of, of, of Tircha, or whether it's disrespectful to Shabbos, but at least in terms of Malach, in terms of actual forbidden activity, there's no issue at all. So therefore, based on this, locally here in, here in West Rogers Park, it certainly would not be a problem. The only issue we're concerned about is carrying. What else? Um, 
So we covered that before. That again, in the vast majority of cases, the area of that you're going to be you want to have shoveled is going to be a paved sidewalk. It's already it's paved. So okay, so now you're like. And what is doing with your hand cell? Why is that better? Huh? What is it about the hands thing? Doing with your own hands? Because then you don't need to carry the shovel. Again, we're talking oh, about without the shovel. That's the, that's the concern. The shovel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, <clears throat> so he, so now he, so, 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 so he continues like this. He says. Okay, so so far we kind of have a heter, but our heter is very limited. We're talking, okay, so in a place where there's an Erev, or at least where it's theoretically possible for him to do it without any uh, forbidden Three oh eight, chapter three oh eight, number forty nine. You see that? Yeah. So the Alter says like this. Let's put it up on the screen. There you go. <coughs> when a thorn, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> when a thorn is found in the public domain, it is permitted to move to move it less than four and now, usually, again, we said you're allowed to move something in a public domain less than four amas, less than six feet. Now, I mean, you're right, so you could move it five feet, put it down, then pick it up again, move it another five feet. Usually, we don't need allowed to do that. But if it's a kite, if it's a thorn, which could hurt somebody, so then um, um, that would be permissible to do it sort of five feet at a time. That's in an actual public domain. What if it's a Carmelis, which on a biblical level it's permissible to carry and it's only on a rabbinic level that we treat it like a public domain. So then you don't even need to move it less, you don't even do, need to do the installments. Then you're allowed to move the thorn according to his um, ordinary manner of conduct, i.e. even picking it up just once and moving it a longer distance. These leniencies are granted because there's reason for concern that people at large could be injured by a thorn. For the sages do not establish a prohibitive decree a shvus about carrying a carmelis um, in instances where it's possible that the public may be injured. Now, the question becomes, okay, so a thorn could damage people and therefore um, we allow you to move it. And let's assume for argument's sake, um, the poskim in general, in general, most poskim accept this, that this argument, that nowadays we pretty much consider all areas where we live to be a carmelis. We don't consider places to be a roshosarabim. So in a Carmelis, so in other words, even if you don't use the Eruv, we're still going to consider the Carmelis. So if you see a kite, you see a thorn on the street, which could hurt somebody, you're allowed to pick it up and move it to a place where it's no longer going to hurt somebody, even though it's obviously muksa and you're moving it more than four Amas, it's permissible because somebody could get hurt on the thorn. Now, the question is, the question which the Paschal discussed over here is, well, what is it? Are all 
is anything that could hurt somebody to be compared to a thorn. So if you look down over here in footnote 239 from the English Shulchan Aruch, he says, the Magad Avram cites the Ravash, which states that our sages use the example of thorn because the thorn is not easily visible. A passerby might stand on it without realizing. Similar concepts apply with regard to broken glass or other sharp objects. A conscious source of danger that is obvious may not be moved. That's the Ravash's opinion. The Magad Avram is not in total agreement with this decision. So, um, okay, so... So this becomes a question. The question which the Mashallah is now busy in trying to figure out is, well, can we compare the damage that may be inflicted by snow uh, um, to a thorn? Now, on the one hand, if you accept the Rivash, well, if you don't accept the Rivash, let's, okay, we're assuming here that the person could fall and get hurt on snow. Certainly if there's ice underneath and whatever it is, right? Um, now, so if you don't accept the stringency of the Ravash and you hold that anything that somebody could get hurt on, you're allowed to move, so then certainly it's allowed. But there may even be room to be more lenient than that, because even the Ravash, what, what's his argument? Why does he say that if everybody could see it? They could walk around. Because they could walk around, right? So if you have a thorn, nobody's going to see it. If you have, I don't know, a big, uh, a big rock, right? Well, everybody's going to need to move the rock. Everybody could walk around it. With snow, even though everybody could see it, there's nowhere to walk around. So it could be that even the Rivash would agree that we could be lenient with regards to snow. Right. Yeah, if there's ice underneath the snow, then you have to shovel it and put salt, which was the third question about putting salt in Shabbos, which, oh, spoiler alert, the answer is basically yes. We'll discuss a little bit more detail about it next week, right? So let's say there's ice underneath it. You want to shovel the snow, remove the salt. That, that could be a very important thing to do. Um, it, it sometimes frustrates me that, uh, you know, well, everyone's being so from and not shoveling the snow and putting out salt on Shabbos, but I don't think it's anything to do with being from because they don't do it on Thursday either. So, <laughs> so, um, so, <clears throat> right. Now, the, I mean, there, there's a little bit of a counter-argument to this because you could say that, um, that beca because there's nowhere to walk around the snow, so people know to be more careful versus... Uh, a thorn, nobody's going to know to be careful. So that's a, a, a bit of a question. By the way, another very important area where this is relevant, which we've discussed this in the past, the various shyless that come up with uh, with owning pets, um, specifically dogs, many shyless with regards to dogs. One of the big shyless is um, cleaning up from the dog if you're taking a dog for a walk on Shabbos. Um, again, even if you use the air, so there's no issue of carrying, but it's certainly... Um, there could be workarounds, you could do it, there's, there's ways to do it, but I believe that those who, those who, uh, I believe that there is a heter, I don't know, again, I can't tell you a name of a Rav who passes this way, but at least in theory, there could be a heter to say that the, 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 the waste of the dog on the sidewalk is like that of a thorn, because somebody could, again, it's unlikely that somebody could get hurt by it, but depends again it depends how is the damage here right is the damage a kite somebody could get hurt especially i mean i assume i assume that the issue with the kites is that it was probably more common for people to walk around without robust shoes like we have nowadays um nobody's getting hurt on dog waste there could be inconvenience there could be maybe financial damage if you have to pay to get your shoes clean i don't know maybe trauma, <laughs> but, but, but another important caveat with that is that usually if the dog's well-trained, he's not going to do it in the middle of the sidewalk. He's going to go 
next to, to the side by the fence or next to a tree on the thing, right? So in that case, it's not really a place where people are walking. So what would be the heter to clear up a, a, a after Shabbos? Well, that the fact it's that it's illegal, it's, it. it's illegal, but the fact that it's illegal doesn't allow you to to desecrate Shabbos. I know, but you'll get punished. Okay. You'll 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 get fined. Okay, so sometimes you have to pay to keep Shabbos. You can receive a ticket on Shabbos. <laughs> no, I'm I'm just saying it's, no, a, it's a, not, I, I, like so, I mean, Chazal came up with the idea that even something that's muksa is allowed to be removed on Shabbos when we're talking about waste. Because it's considered to be so dis, uh, so uh, distasteful to have it around. Oh, so, so that, that you're you're talking, so you want to invoke right? So you want to invoke the concept of graf shalrei. The, the the problem graf shalrei means that if you have something that makes it um, uncomfortable to be around, disgusting to be around, so then there's a special allowance to 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 remove it on Shabbos. The problem with that is, and I don't want to get too sidetracked because this is not about pets on Shabbos, uh, we, um, but um, there's two problems with that. Number one is that you're not, there's a prohibition to make a graf shalrei. So you wouldn't be allowed to take your dog out to poop on the street. You would have to make him, I mean, again, I don't know exactly how dogs work, but I assume there's an option for it to do it in the house or in your backyard no, or something. No, they don't. Uh, they have to poop on the street. Well, they, what would happen if they did it in the backyard? They'll poop in the house. Okay, so then they'll poop in the house. But well, to take okay. it, to take the dog out to, to do it in the street, then but if it's in the house, you're also gonna have to remove it, right? Okay. The bigger problem is the bigger problem is that it's very questionable whether the street counts as a grashalray. If you look in the halachas of grashalray, the halacha is that you're in your house. I'm trying to I want to relax on Shabbos afternoon and uh, and the, the and but on the street, so, so don't stand, move up two feet. Like you know, nobody's asking you to stand right there where it's gonna bother you. The, the, right, but I, what I'm saying is, it's not going to bother the owners. It's just that there's a realization. Grashalrei doesn't society, seem again. If you look in the sources, Grashalrei doesn't seem to be a heter for something that's going to disturb you momentarily as you walk past it. Grashalrei is a heter for something that's disturbing your comfort while you're sitting in your home. Yeah. Like, well, the mean, bottom yeah, line is, there doesn't seem to be any very clear-cut heter for clearing up from your dog on Shabbos. And I, I know somebody here in the community who's a member of uh, one of the shuls Antui. And he actually does own a dog now, but initially that was one of the main reasons why he didn't want to get a dog was because of this Shiloh. Mm. And uh, eventually his wife somehow convinced him. Anyway. <laughs> um, that goes well beyond the dog being muksa, right? That's another Shiloh. Yes. This is Zikr Yes. Anyway, there's some questions where people ask me, I tell them to ask somebody else because they don't want to know what I have to say. So, yes. Mm. <laughs> All right. Um, they really shouldn't have a dog in the first place. Okay. Anyway, the, the bottom line is the bottom line is the bottom line is that he he wants to say based on again again he quotes a number of different sources he brings from Rishonim that even snow that that anything that could hurt you even if it is possible even if people can see it and whatever it is, um, it should be allowed. It, it would it would fall under this category of coats of the thorn in the Shusharabim and therefore it's mutter. Um, he finishes off saying again, like I'm not really convinced how, how how dangerous snow is. Obviously, there could be fines involved, but in terms of people's safety, um, he's not really sure how how, um, how uh, you know how big of a deal it is. But, uh, but 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 as he says, anyway, his bottom line is he doesn't he's not really so comfortable um, with you doing it on Shabbos uh, if you don't absolutely have to. But um, but 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 if it's a caramelist. 
then it's fine to you to do it on Shabbos, but it's better to do it through a guy because it's not so respectful for Shabbos. And this I would do before that the questions of Uvdin the Khail, of Tircha, of Avshamilsa, all these questions of things which let's just summarize them as saying they're not Shabbistic. When it comes to those things, it's much it's much more difficult to define them exactly. And um, but certainly the Paschum also, you know, better have a guy do it. And as we saw, this is paraphrased in Shmir Shabbos Khasa, where he says it's permissible to clear the snow on Shabbos. To if you're if if, the, if you're concerned that people will get hurt, um, he doesn't. Again, if, if there's let's just say this theoretically, if there's absolutely no concern that anybody's going to get hurt, and your only reason to do it is um, because it's because you, you're scared of getting fined, so then you would have to actually make sure that there's a you know that either there's an error of or that there's some sort of robust header. If you're relying on any way of carrying in a camera or anything like that, then there has to be some sort of legitimate concern that people are going to get hurt. And therefore, and then he says it's permissible. And he says, if you have a guy do it, you can do it even in a Shusar Abdi Gemara. Now, what I want, <coughs> want to finish off with again, so we've addressed question number one. Um, questions number two and three. Question number one is, yes, you can clear your snow, certainly if there's an Erev. If there's no Erev, you can have a guy do it for you. Um, and uh, assuming that you live in a Carmelist, which is basically the case for most people, and um, and uh, if, it's a, if, if it's done in the way of a contractor, if you have it, it wouldn't necessarily be a hazard to ask a guy on Shabbos morning to do it, but if you have a contractor who takes care of it, um, then that would be permissible. I want to finish off, and then the other questions about having them come with machines to plow your parking lot and putting out salt, if not, Hashem will address more next week. I want to finish off with... Um, uh, Chabad source, which is very relevant and also completely irrelevant, as <laughs> as you'll see in a moment. Just a second. Okay, if you look in the other page that I made here, where it says chapter fourteen, this is from the Kuti Deburim, from the Friedrich Rebbe's Sichas, and. He says, like, let's first read the story. The year is 5547, 1786. Winter set in with a vengeance. And the Yajna, which is where the Alter Rebbe lived at the time, had its first snowfall during Kalamayat Sukkot. It was bitterly cold, and to be able to sit in the Sukkot, people had to put on fur coats and padded boots. Besides some of the meals that could not start until the snow had been cleared off the roof. That year, Shmini Atzeres fell on Shabbos. Snow fell all Friday night, and in the morning, the Alter Rebbe asked someone to remark to Kuzma, the Gentile handyman, that it would be impossible to eat in the sukkah as long as the snow was piled on top. He cleared the snow away, and the rabbi went out to the sukkah to recite Kiddush and eat the festive meal of Shabbos and Yom Tifter. Okay, that's the story. Now, there's a number of things to remark in this story. Number one, that it was Shmini Atzeres, so we strict to eat in the sukkah even in Shmini Atzeres. Um, Number two, that even though it was freezing cold, they didn't use that as a heter to eat outside of the sukkah. Um, number three, that it seems that yeah, he was saying that it was forbidden to eat in the sukkah with the snow on top, which is a machlokus apostim. It's machlokus again. It's not so common um, in, in in America that there should be snow in sukkahs, and certainly not a lot of snow. But in places where you could have a lot, a tefach, let's say, a couple of inches of snow on top of the sukkah, then there's a machlokus whether that disqualifies the sukkah, um, because we find in various mishnayos and brises that snow is not really considered. A unit is considered a number. Each grain of snow is considered a separate unit. Long story short, from here it seems that Alter Rebbe um, at least was machmir, like the opinion that it is um, 
uh, 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 that we you can't eat in the snooker with snooker with the snow on top. Now the question is the, the number of questions. First of all, why did he have to? Why, so so why was he telling the guy to remove the snow? Why couldn't he remove it himself? Or why couldn't he even remove it? Um, why? I mean, and then he says it was Friday night. What if it would have been? What if Shmuel would have been during the week? What's the difference? So, the, so this is a very relevant story because it touches upon the whole snow on Shabbos. The reason why it's irrelevant is because there's so many variables that we can't really um, determine any anything conclusive. Because it could be that the reason he asked, well, he says he asked the guy. He didn't ask him directly. They asked him in a way of, they didn't tell him, please remove the snow. They said, we have to eat in the snow. Okay, they can't eat in the snow with the snow. Um, now, what about Shabbos? Like, let's, was, was, did, did they say that way because it was Shabbos? And maybe the issue was because the place where he had to remove the snow to was outside of the, that domain? Or, or is that irrelevant? And it just happened to be that, that it was Shabbos, but the same would have happened um, if it was on a Tuesday. Um, again, like we said before, it's pretty much explicit that snow is not muktzah, so it's unlikely that the issue was a muktzah. Is it possible that um, it's uh, basically making the, um, the sukkah functioning? Oh, so that's another question. Is the fact that it's making the sukkah functional so that some sort of bayna or makibapatish or something um, that would that that would be the reason why it was forbidden for them to do? Um, again, it could be they could have done it themselves and they just asked the guy because they asked the handyman. But then why would they why would they have sent it? In as a as an illusion and not as a not not an not an illusion an illusion. Why didn't they ask him directly? So anyway, this story has been chewed over many times. Many people have written about it, but the bottom line is, it becomes very difficult to draw any sort of conclusive um, conclusions from from this story, and so it's very relevant but very irrelevant. Um, be that as it may. Um, the the, the, the pack remains as far as clearing your own sidewalk, like we discussed. And in Yatashem next week, we'll discuss the other issues pertaining to clearing snow. Thank you all for joining. Bill, if you would come in person, you would see somebody very special. Say hi to your son-in-law. Maybe a couple of weeks I'll be there. Okay, <laughs> we're looking forward. Take care. All right, bye.